I, I feel like uh, alcohol is fine in the mouth. I don't need to pour it in the butt. Yo, 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 everybody, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and adults and children and babies and everybody out there creating, doing the jive, doing something funky. This is episode 100 of the Entrepreneur Now podcast or AKA the Artsy Now Show. I did change it in iTunes to label the Artsy Now Show since so many people were having trouble typing entrepreneur to find it. Uh, It seems to be going a lot better now, so don't let that confuse you. The cover is still the same. I am pumped and laughing, and if you heard the intro quote, uh, that was the very enthusiastic, brilliant, world-renowned, really, Tucker Max. He is <laughs> he, he's his own character, I'll tell you that much. He, he's an awesome dude. He's got this sweet, sweet-ass product uh, called Book in the Box for the high rollers out there that want to write their own book. They want to have their hand held through the whole process, but they don't want to be the ones that have to do uh, the nitty-gritty, the muscle work behind it. Uh, he actually compiles an entire team together and they will do a series of interviews with you and literally comprise an amazing book with your name on it that can become your best seller. This is an expensive product, but it's only for those who are dead serious about it. You get the publishing, you get the whole package with it. And we get to talk about Tucker and this. If you know Tucker Max, you'll be like, what the hell? I mean, is he... Has he lost his mind? Why is he starting companies like this? He has made a transition a little bit uh, from the guy that he is oh so famous for being inventing frat tire and and all of this crazy face down, pants down, drinking shenanigans that, that resonate with him and his name uh, through I Hope You Serve Beer in Hell, his most famous book. In the chronicles of all of his blogs, uh, he was one of only three people to have Three New York Times bestsellers on the list at the exact same time. So he's a baller. And this interview is awesome. I'm going to jump right into it because I don't want to give you a lot of riffraff here. He's incredible. We talk about, I mean, everything from this product to the butt chugging from the quote you heard uh, to all of his crazy shenanigans and his kind of transition from that, from that massive fame to settling down. He's got a baby now. You'll hear him throughout the episode. Uh, It's awesome. We even get into how babies and their cries are actually used uh, to torture people, really. It can actually drive you insane, uh, these cries. And I'm not saying they actually put a baby in there, but using the noises of baby cries. Uh, Whatever. This interview's all over the place. I hope you enjoy it. Chickity, 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 check it out now. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stickity, stinkity, riggity, diggity beat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, here we go now. 
wants to get a little bit funky out there? Who wants to get a little creative out there, huh? Yeah. Which one of you wants to get a little bit artsy now? Well, then get on with your bad selves, yeah. Gentlemen, boys and girls, if your ears hang low, you better wiggity, wiggity, wiggity wobble those bad boys or girls to the figgity, figgity, figgity front and center, because I got a dude on the show today who's been up and down and all around as a blogger, as a writer, as an entrepreneur and a champion of all things life. He's founded two different media companies and he's only the third writer to have three books on the New York Times bestseller list all at one time. And he's dominated the likes of Fox News, New York Times, Boston Globe, LA Times. He made Time Magazine's top 100 most influential. And he's the co-founder of Book in a Box, which is taking the internet by storm. The fastest and most legit way to get the help you need to publish your book the right way. So writers, listen up. Creatives, listen up. Anybody out there who wants to do a little fist pumping, Listen up, a skidamarickety dinkity dink, a skidamarickety doo. Tucker Max, you are the entrepreneur now. What is up, dude? What's going on, man? I think you uh, you were a big fan of DOS Effects back in the day, were you not? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a chat. Like when I first started doing that, it was a challenge, and now it's just like second nature. It's so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, I got some action from Bishop back there in the background. Right, exactly. He was, he was fist pumping. <laughs> he's he's yelling. I don't know if he's fist pumping. He's throwing stuff around, probably shitting himself. You better hope he doesn't have the shenanigans in him that you had. Uh, I do. Like he's he's pretty high energy. There's no doubt about that. You can tell in my voice how kind of exhausted I am. It's not. I'm not tired like of a podcast or media. I'm tired of this nine month old baby who will not stop moving. <laughs> Yeah, I can't even imagine, man. But I'm sure I, I hear I hear when they finally come, you, you you really transition everything around them, and it can be one of the best things for you. So, well, yeah, you, you have to. If you don't transition everything around them, you got to give them up for adoption because because that's the only way. Uh, babies, it's funny. Babies are like little sociopaths. Like they don't understand, and I mean that literally. Like that's the way human brains develop. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that there's. Uh, they don't even understand that there's outside objects from them from their own their own selves and their own consciousness. Probably till they're around six to nine months, and then they still don't really understand object permanence things like that for a while. So it's like they only understand their own needs, and they have two modes: they're either content or they're nuclear. You know, and it's yeah. like when they go nuclear, it's like you have to figure out what's wrong and you got to fix it fast because baby cries, do you know, baby cries are quite literally neurologically evolved to drive a human mind crazy. Really? No, it's true. Like a true baby cry, like a wailing baby. Yeah, they, uh, uh, a buddy of mine uh, was deep into sort of naughty things that the government does. And he was at Guantanamo for a while. And he told me, he told me this story. He's like, look, at the very beginning, we played baby crying uh, to break the terrorists. And he's like, we had to stop and we had to shift to other things because it drove the guards crazy. Really? Like it, he said it broke the prisoners, but it also broke the guards. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. Like 
Marines or whoever's guarding this stuff, like these are supposed to be badasses and baby crying. Like they literally, they're like, I'll, I'll put a bullet in my brain I'll, or I'll defect to Cuba. You've got to stop this. I'll do anything. Just yeah. taking it above and beyond the Chinese water torture. with the Seriously. Baby. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing worse than that. That's crazy, man. That's a good little nugget of advice to put out there to start. Right. You ever want to torture someone? Just play crying baby noises. <laughs> just have That's a great way to start the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Bishop. Right. Bishop yelling, so to torture someone. <laughs> yeah, man. So like I first I first saw Book in a Box because I had Hal Elrod on this show, who's an awesome dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've connected with him, but he I was, have. I talked to him a few weeks ago. We had like an hour conversation. Right? He's a good dude. Did you go on his podcast? No, he, he asked me to come on. Uh, it was just a conversation. Yeah, someone connected us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, he's awesome. And he if you, if you get the opportunity, if he asks you, you should definitely do it. But he was on a while back. It was like in the beginning, episode 16 or so. But I follow him pretty closely. And yeah, he had, he had tweeted out this book in a box. And he doesn't tweet anything unless it's completely legit. You know, everything right. he does, and, and can it's something that he would use. But I clicked on it, and it was just weird because like two days later, I got that email uh, I think it was from one of your assistants about booking a box, and I was like, "Yeah, that's crazy." And you, you've made a transition to get from where you used to be to where you are now. So I want to definitely dive into that. But you, you've got all these incredible stories. Most people would know you from you know the four main books that you did, including right. the movie. I hope they serve beer, beer in hell. I mean, right? I have people tell me all the. I mean, I don't. I don't know how long I can actually go without hearing somebody talk about that. That's how viral that stuff went. I mean, it was all <laughs> yeah. over the place, especially yeah. around Knoxville and Lexington. Yeah. You know, well, because I'm that from rain. that area. Yeah. yeah. You have that rain. You went to Lafayette or? Yeah, I went to Lafayette for high school. I didn't graduate from there because I ended up doing my last two years at boarding school in New Jersey. But uh, yeah, I, I was uh, like part of elementary school, junior high and high school in Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I mean, I don't know how cool that is, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I was gonna say it's not that cool. It's yeah. pretty shitty. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I connected a lot of people on this show all over the world, and when they're asking me where I'm at, I'm like, I'm in Kentucky, and then everyone just gets silent. They're like, oh, Yeah, they're like, Oh, how'd that happen? <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean, you had so many awesome stories. I remember one that I love. You had that UT weekend story, just because I went there, and it just like was funny because it was something that you would see notoriously happen down there. That kind of situation a lot. But you know the the Tucker the Tucker Max death mix will definitely result in you being face down pants down in the bushes. Yep. Uh, Tennessee got involved with some even more extreme stuff down there. They got they took it to a whole nother level with the whole butt chugging and things like that. But which you weren't involved with, I hope. No, 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 no. I I, I feel like uh, alcohol is fine in the mouth. I don't need to pour it in the butt. <laughs> Yeah, I never quite understood that. They're putting right. it in other places than that, man. But. I mean, you know what's so weird about that, man, is like the only people I knew, like uh, I knew like uh, gay dudes who used to do champagne enemas all the time. Yeah. And like, uh, and I was like, okay, I get it. You like things in the butt. You're gay. Okay, no problem. And then it's like guys who are supposed to be straight, like especially like Tennessee, like, oh, faggots, like no gay marriage. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. you're putting alcohol in your butt, dude. Like it's <laughs> it's not a, a big leap from there to a penis, man. It's like, so funny. I saw, but, I don't know if you've seen the press conference when they busted the fraternity there. Uh, I think it was Pike or something. And they had this lawyer stand there in front of all these guys dressed in suits that were in the fraternity trying to keep a straight face. And the lawyer is like, my client did not butt chug. And he just keeps saying the term butt chug. And it was the funniest damn press 
thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I think yeah, I could probably find it on YouTube and send it to you. Uh, but I ended up taking a clip from that and like creating a butt chugging rap song just for fun. <laughs> put it on the internet and it went viral for like to the point where the University of Tennessee actually had sent me an email like, if you don't take this down, there's going to be problems. And so I, I like literally put up TennesseeButtChug.com, put the rap song up with that lawyer talking as the intro. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. That's awesome. But I agree, man. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. But so looking at your stories, I, I was very relatable to that. Obviously, you were huge. I, I was involved in being a pretty large alcoholic. I was drinking about a fifth a day for years. No, no real regards to anyone, but wait, wait, was, wait, 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 a fifth? Yeah, man, a day. That's yeah, a like, lot of alcohol. Well, it was in, dude, and it would be like I wouldn't say every day for a year, but probably. I'm not kidding you. My roommates and I would easily drink, and we get a handle and a fifth between three of us, and drink it like every day. Like it was no thing. And there maybe would be like a couple days of fallout where you're just like, oh, I can't do anything. And it would just be less. But it was Dude, bad, man. It that's might, a lot of alcohol. I, I was going to like get colonoscopies and stuff because I thought, you know, I can't digest things. And like it all ended up being, it was just like quit drinking alcohol and drink more water. You know, right. that'll change everything. Right. But, I don't have any gut bacteria because I've killed it <laughs> with alcohol. It was bad. I mean, in ten, they say Tennessee's the, or Knoxville in general highest drinking city in the United States, which is crazy to think about. But I think it's just because there's nothing else to do. And in the transition, though, I really think there were, in in my head, there were huge holes inside me that needed to be filled, right? Like I was just doing that stuff because there was nothing else that I could relate myself to. And I think you have to make a commitment to yourself to do this, and you really have to want it more than anything in the world. And so now, you know, I'm running like 500 miles a year. I'm doing a lot of stuff with health and nutrition. I watch what I eat. I'm very mindful. And you yourself are really a master of personal growth, and I respect that a lot. And you've made a similar transition from that kind of toxic lifestyle that people read about in the books. And I'm sure that when you meet people, they always just bring that up. They're like, oh, you know, that's who he is all the time. But like at some point, you grow up, like you get focused. You have little Bishop back there. And I think I've read before that you've done some MMA and yoga maybe yeah. mm-hmm. um and you've been really involved with that and these things take major concentration right like there's something magical about developing the mind and, and seeking a challenge and opportunity and battling those resistance and fear gremlins whenever possible but like just just curious before we get into the book and the box stuff like looking back at the the way things used to be to where they are now. How do you feel about all of that in, the, in that transition? Because there's a lot of people that connect to me through this show that are in similar situations and they're like, oh, maybe I should really start focusing on this. I think it's 100% possible and I push them towards it. But to hear from somebody like you, you know, you've done it as well and you've been able to take it to a whole nother level. Like, how do, how do you feel about all that? What, what, what do you mean? Like, how do I, how do I like, feel about what? Looking back at how you were then to, to the right well dude I, I listen straight up i was not drinking a fifth of alcohol a well, day I like know. that's a that's but way if, more but you know what i mean by like reading the stories right right i mean like dude i'm not sure if i if there were days where i drank a fifth of alcohol then i was obliterated like those are days that i don't remember enough to write stories about i think possibly really? i still yes. have friends i think that do that on like regular occasions or are fine <laughs> yeah i mean like well that's tennessee and kentucky man are full yeah. of people who do that you know yeah, um and, no but like look for for me it was like um i went through I think here's the thing, man, is that all of us have uh, demons that 
that we have to uh, we have to face. And alcohol and sex or gambling or drugs or whatever your diversion uh, of choice is can help you avoid that for a while, and it can help you push it down. But you got to face them at some point. Um, and so it's like you can either decide that you're going to turn around and consciously face them and deal with your issues, or you can try and run and hide forever, you know? Uh, yeah. and, and that just – running and hiding – and you can do it in a way that's fun. I mean like I'm sure you had a bunch of fun drinking. I had a bunch of fun drinking and hooking <laughs> up with girls and partying. It's not like that's not fun at all. It's just that like after a while it becomes very tiresome yeah, and it becomes – right. It becomes um, – you realize it just, it just stops working. It probably never really worked. It was just a distraction, but but it, it, it stops working. And so you have to figure out, all right, like who do I want to be? Like that's really the question that I think you ultimately have to ask yourself. And it's like for a while, the answer for me was I wanted to be a young guy who fucked a bunch of girls and drank a lot and had a lot of fun. And that was cool for me for a while. But then that wasn't a good enough answer at some point. Uh, and so – and I had to turn around and face and kind of re- realize, all right. Uh, and I actually went the hardest route, I think. I fixed all of my external problems, you know, yeah. and I was still unhappy. You know, I, I was rich and famous and successful and whatever. And I was still, I mean, I wasn't miserable. Like, I was much happier than I would be if I had been poor, you know. But, like, uh, I just wasn't, I wasn't in the place I wanted to be. So then I had to say, all right, well, if I have, if I fixed, you know, if I'm in great shape and I have money and fame and success and all this stuff and I'm still not happy, then I need to turn the mirror inwards. You know, and I, or I need to turn my view inwards. I guess, yeah, Bishop agrees. Bishop agree with that yeah. one. <laughs> and I gotta, um, um, I gotta turn it inwards and I gotta, I gotta see, um, I gotta see myself, you know, like for who I am and see maybe if the problem isn't somewhere inside of me. Um, and then, once you realize that's a possibility, then you can start to examine sort of your behavior and your, your thought patterns and figure out what it is and then you figure out how to fix it, you know? Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's very – look, man, it's very simple to, to outline. It's just hard to do, you know? Yeah, it's really hard and I don't think that there's any real time where it's just like something pops in your head and it just all switches at once. Like it is seriously no, no, a process. The people who have stories about like having like the <laughs> – the epiphany and everything changes at once are like they're lucky and they're like the type of people who have like near death experiences and stuff, you know. Yeah. And so like and and it actually it, it's empirically shown near death experiences really truly can rewire your brain neurologically mm-hmm. uh, in certain ways. But um, they're like the thing maybe you shouldn't go looking for a near death experience because it might not be <laughs> near; it might just be a death, you know. And so like. Uh, it, it's not about you're right. From the vast majority of people, it's not like oh, I just woke up one day and decided everything would be different. It, it's it's about deciding over time that what you're doing isn't satisfactory and figuring out what it is you want, and then creating the habits and the processes in your life that are going to get you that. You know? Yeah, I was reading. I don't know where it was. I was reading about the near death experiences the other day. It might have been on a podcast or something I was listening to, but they literally showed like this, it was a crazy high believable rate of people after they had a near death experiences of transitioning what they were doing from like literally quitting any type of job that did not 
completely relate to what they wanted to be doing in life and pursuing what they actually wanted to be doing. And like it was like, it was like really high up there, like 70% of people or something that had a near death experience started yeah. living the life that they wanted to live immediately afterwards. Yep. So it makes sense. I guess you just don't want to really get to that level, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I like, I, I didn't thankfully need a near death experience. Although it's funny. I, I, I can think of probably 10 times I should be fucking dead. Like, and none of those changed my mind about anything, man. Yeah, yeah, it was for, for me, it was just a, it was, I think an accumulation of things over a few years where I kind of realized that like, uh, to put it very simply, I wanted to be on a mountain peak, uh, that was, let's say 20,000 feet high. And I was on a 10,000 foot peak and I realized I was on the wrong mountain. You know, oh, there was yeah, no, yeah. there was no path. Uh, up to 20,000 feet on the mountain I was on. I was at the top and I had to go down that mountain and up the other one. And it, it sucks, but it's one of those things where it's like, um, you know, I mean, like either, either you want to do it or you don't. Yeah. It's just real. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've, you've never, you've never had any trouble being open and, and completely honest person to the media, to the public, to anyone, really, you've been 100% yourself and you've, you've really made this transition and changed your life. I think there's something about that that really can build trust behind anything that you put yourself behind. And like with book in a box, I get a sense that this is an incredibly legit product that has potential to transform somebody else's life and give them the opportunity that they wouldn't normally have. Because I think that there's so many problems when people say, Hey, I want to write a book. I do think everybody should, even if it's not for sale, maybe it's just for personal use. Like before you, decided on this idea what do you think was like the biggest problem you saw with people who wanted a book like who well, wanted to write a book so p- part of it i wrote an article about starting book in a box on linkedin and, and what i wrote about was uh how stupid i felt when i started the company because i think i literally could have started this 10 years ago because yeah. people like the moment i became a published author the the number one question I got was from people was, oh, how do I be an author or how do I become a writer or whatever, right? Or I want to write my book. People ask me how they can do that, you know? Yeah. And um, and my answer for a decade was basically kind of a snobbish, elitist answer. It was like, well, you got to do the work and blah, 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 and you got to want it. And it was all the kind of bullshit tropes that you hear, that you see as writing advice all over the place, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, and, it, and it was this one entrepreneur who kind of kicked me out of that 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 mindset. And basically, she I, I met her at an entrepreneur dinner, and, and um, she came up to me and she's like, you know, you're the publishing guy, right? And she's like, okay, I, I, like help me solve the, my problem. She's like, I uh, I've got um, I, I've had people tell me I should write a book for years. Um, you know, it's based on on what she consults. She's a retail consultant, and she's like. The way she does it, she's like one of the best ever or something. And so like she's like, you know, I'm very expensive um, and, and like I'd love to help more people and I've got these great ideas but I just can't – I don't have the time, you know, to tell this – to talk to people so I want to put it in a book so I, you know, get all my ideas out there. And she's like, uh, but I don't have – you know, I, I don't like writing. I'm not good at it and I don't have the time to do it. Um, and, and so I started like basically – she's like, well, you know, what can I do? And I was like, well, and then I started lecturing her about hard work, you know, <laughs> and, and, and like telling, you know, going through all my normal, like sort of bullshit tropes about book writing. And she stops me and she goes, are you an entrepreneur? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'd like to think I am. And she's like, well, 
I'm an entrepreneur too. And at my job, what I do is help people solve problems. What do you do? And I was like, oh, <laughs> because it was so bad because she was so right. You know, yeah. like she, it, she wasn't like criticizing me. She was pointing out a preposterous absurdity in what I was doing that I hadn't even recognized myself. And it was like, fuck, it was like a total gut punch. And so, um, I, I like I kind of reformed the entire way because of that conversation. It took me a few months to kind of figure out a solution or a problem, but it, I, I really totally reformed uh, like what I thought about books and writing and and everything and publishing. And I, I kind of came to a conclusion very similar to what you just said that there are for a decade people have been asking me how they can turn their ideas into books and, without having to write them down. And my my instinct for a decade was to dismiss them because they weren't willing to do the work to be a writer. Yeah. And what that woman made me realize is that writing is a totally distinct cognitive task from having a good idea and wanting to share it with the world. And that it was really stupid and arrogant of me to think that writing was actually that important. Like it's not that important of a part of the process. What's yeah, important is having a good idea that can help other people. And then, uh, so, so I, from that point on, I was like, all right, I'm going to find a way to turn ideas into books in a way that's cheap and easy and simple, right? And that became Book in a Box. And so basically, we figured out a way where Melissa could spend about 12 hours on the phone with us and um, talking. And we did everything else and uh, turned all of her ideas into an amazing book. It came out, and actually, this is a, a true story. I mean, it's got a great ending. Like it came, her book came out in November, and um, it's like it's done amazing. She's doubled her consulting business. She's keynoting three conferences. Like wow. a bunch of uh, a bunch of people have started businesses uh, off of her book. It's like created this huge sort of. Um, uh, groundswell uh, of uh, movement. It's, I mean, it's not sold a lot of copies because it's a small area. You know, it's just retail and pop up retail, which is like an, a small area of a small space. But for the people in that area, it's like become their their bible. You know, and so uh, um, yeah, like that was that's what I'm seeing now is like book in a box is not just a way for people to have books. It's a way to share ideas. Because that is the driving force behind it, right? right? Exactly. That's the whole point is is to to make it really easy for people to turn their knowledge and wisdom and stories into books so they can share it with the world. The the best metaphor I give for people is that we kind of do to books what the iPhone did to photography. You know, it made it cheap and easy and simple. And now you can be a world class professional photographer with an iPhone and an Instagram account. And that's it. You know, and, and there's so many people out there that have brilliant ideas and messages, but they have absolutely nowhere, like no way of knowing where to start or any means of being able to actually write it down or type right, it right. out. Exactly, yeah. they don't have the time. I mean, yeah. most people who have great ideas have great ideas because they're really hardworking, busy professionals, and they don't have time to learn to be a writer. They, you know, uh, they they they're busy working on their job or their business or their idea or whatever, and so it's like if. <laughs> It's sort of like how, like, uh, you know, so many people who have access to great images don't have time to to learn how to be a photographer with an old school camera and develop film and lenses and all that stuff. But if you give them a very simple tool, an iPhone, they can take amazing pictures, right? Yeah. So that's exactly what our process is really designed to do: is make it really simple and easy 
to share ideas with the world. So did you, when you first did the very, when you did this with, what was her name, Melissa? Is that what you said? Uh, Melissa Gonzalez is her you know, name. When you first did it with Melissa, did you just use like your team from the media side to do this when she called you or did you actually have to set up a process for this? Uh, well, so I had, um, I had a sort of like a, a book consultant, an author consultancy. I mean, it wasn't really a company. It was just like I'd make a, you know, 10, 20 grand a month helping people with various things in publishing or marketing or whatever. And, um, and, and so one of the guys who I'd done work with before, I asked him, I didn't think our idea would work, to be honest. So I asked him to like help me. And he thought it was like a brilliant idea. And he's like, yeah, I think this will work and, and whatever. And so like, um, we just tested it out and, and we ended up realizing like it worked amazingly well and Melissa loved the process. And then as we were like developing the process, we like would talk to someone about it and then they would like become a client. Like we didn't, we didn't go out and sell people. It was like one of those crazy things where we had product market fit for this idea before we even offered it as a, as a business or as a service. Like was seriously, it was, it was nuts. We had made about a, a hundred to two hundred grand before we even really officially made this a company. Damn, <laughs> I know, I know. It's well, I mean, granted, we charge fifteen grand uh, to do this. Yeah, um, but like, uh, the, I mean, still, like, I, I, we had I don't even know, like, ten clients or something. Uh, like after the first few months, it was it was fucking nuts, dude. I couldn't believe, um, I couldn't believe how much demand there was for it. Except, of course, I could as soon as as soon as. As soon as I realized that I was solving a real problem that lots of real people had, then it was like, oh, man, I felt stupid. I could have done this a decade ago. <laughs> it took that long to get that King Kong ding-dong idea popped into your head. But once it right. happened, man, it's crazy. Like That is a lot of money before you even establish a company. Right. And, and that, see, all, like what we're doing is like – I mean it's all off-the-shelf technology. The stuff that we're doing though is really bringing a lot of expertise about story structure, about how to ask the right questions – about the publishing process, we're just putting together a ton, and then understanding how that ties in with with a business person or or how to clarify ideas, all these sorts of things. We're bringing like a lot of expertise from a lot of different areas together, yeah. uh, and then using off the shelf technology to give people something that they wanted but couldn't have before. You know, and before have they all the, been just like excited about the outcome of how this has uh, turned out. We we've had uh, right now we're. Um, Somewhere between fifty and hundred clients, like I lose track yeah. right now, and uh, we've only had one that wasn't happy with the results, Damn. and um, and uh, he was sort of a crazy person, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, uh, yeah, like everyone is super ecstatic. I mean, because generally speaking, the way we don't, we try not to take people on as clients who are crazy people, because like. Or people have totally unrealistic expectations. You know, someone who's like, hey, I'm going to sell a million copies. And I'm like, no, you aren't. Like, you know, there's five books a year that sell that many or, or barely any. And so we try to, like, deal with people who are professionals who have, um, you know, great ideas or knowledge or wisdom. And a book is sort of a way to augment their career or to achieve a, an end or something they can monetize in a secondary way or something like that, you know? Um, people, if you want to be a professional writer, you don't want to call us. That's not what we do. Uh, our job is to help people turn people who aren't writers, get book, turn their ideas and knowledge and wisdom into books. Like the process is really simple, man. We just, we have like a, a, a really almost an algorithmic way that we, um, 
ask people questions, and then from that we can develop an outline after about two calls, maybe three hours or so on the phone. And then uh, once we have an outline, we basically assign them to like a journalist editor who interviews them off the outline five to eight hours on the phone depending. And then uh, we, we, we like transcribe that. We, uh, then the editor turns that into sort of book prose. So like you, it's all your ideas, all your words, all your concepts, everything. It's not ghostwriting at all. Um, and then so we do all, of course, all the rest. Yeah. I mean it's, it's, it's so simple when you say it. But no one was even doing this or thinking about this before, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy because I talk to, you know, I do this podcast, obviously, but whenever I have people on that are, say, authors or they have a, a high expertise in something in general and they're probably already making a lot of money, a lot of them will be, are always looking for ways to repurpose their content, right? And so for people who aren't writers, they've done all this work, they have all this experience, you can literally just put this process in a place with them and it could, and I guess the way that you have it laid out with these algorithms and stuff, it'll drill down and get the good, like the best of what they have to offer. And mm-hmm. be able to put yeah. Out a book for it, it's, it's not software yet. So it's not, I say it's algorithmic meaning that like, yeah, I, I understand it, 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 you know, we, we still have really good freelancers. Like, uh, our outliners, uh, our, um, former big, uh, six publishing editors, um, so, like people like uh, Mark Chait, who is a senior editor at HarperCollins, and people like that. You know, so we th- we have really good people working with us. Um, but yeah, we we have a very kind of simple step by step process. It, it it looks simple, but uh, the way we ask questions, what it, it really works well, and it gets people's ideas. Uh, what we do is we want to make sure their ideas are fully clear, that they're saying everything they want to say in the best way, best, clearest, simplest way possible. And then in the way that the audience is going to value, right? Yeah. And, and that's the way we've designed the process. And it works so far. I mean, obviously, we're only doing nonfiction. And it's working really, really well so far. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, that's incredible. I've actually geared towards something similar because I talk to so many people who are always trying to repurpose like their writings or their – a lot of them do videos nowadays. Right. Um, they're always looking for podcasts. And, and there's been a problem – and I'm not going to get too much detail with it, but – uh, I figured out that those type of people that make a lot of money who want to do the podcast, they don't want to have to, it's kind of the same thing. Like they don't want to have to touch anything. And it's yeah. not, it's not like a, give me your show and I'm going to do everything. Like a lot of those consultants are out there. Right. Right. So like we put, we're putting together podcast right now. And literally you just sign up for credit packages and you can just get in there and, and select your services and submit them. And it's the same thing. almost like virtually, it's it's pretty crazy. It's cool, and that's what they want. I mean, it makes it as easy as possible for them to repurpose their content and hit different audiences. Because the people that are reading books aren't the same as the people who are listening to podcasts, who aren't the nope. same as, as the people yeah. who are out there, uh, you know, making videos. So no, they're totally different mediums, and they require very different. Um, you have to treat those mediums differently. I mean, there are plenty of people who are fantastic podcast podcast hosts who can't write a lick, and vice versa. You know. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to go into a medium, you need to understand what the rules of that medium are, how to, you know, how to use, uh, how to express your ideas and thoughts, et cetera. That's sort of what we, we almost look at ourselves as like book writing and publishing as a service, you know? Like if you want to turn your ideas and knowledge into a book and you don't want to have to learn about writing and publishing, we're like the perfect solution, which is exactly what you're talking about for podcasting too. Like if you don't want to deal with any of that stuff, um, there's, you know, there's always ways around that. No one has done this in, in books though yet. 
Yeah, it's um, really cool. I've not heard anything even remotely close to it, to be honest. Yeah, I know, and I feel stupid because, like, I could. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, it, it. Every time I think about it, it frustrates me. I'm like, how did I not think of this sooner? There's such a huge demand hey, for man, it. And what's important is that you're doing it now and it's working, and that's that's the best part about it. So yeah. do you do you all actually publish like print these books and do the, do you ship oh, these yeah. books out to them? Oh, dude, no, yeah, so this that's is, all included. Right, 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 like. When I say you talk to us on the phone for 12 hours and that's it, I mean, I mean that very explicitly and literally. Like, you talk to us for 12 hours, up to 12 hours. Sometimes it's less. And we do everything else. And four months later, you have a perfectly uh, uh, published professional book, beautiful cover, beautiful interior layout, uh, perfectly edited. It's uh, for sale everywhere. You know, you would normally buy a book. Usually not in Barnes and Noble because they're a huge pain in the ass to deal with, but everywhere else, <laughs> paperback, hardcover, ebook, everything. Like, yeah, it's like a, it's everything you would get from a normal publishing company. In fact, we do a better job than most of the publishing companies, to be honest. And I'm guessing with your experience, you have these kind of thresholds where you, you, you sort of know, depending on the topic of whatever the book is, which way to push them as far as a market goes. Yeah, so like uh, we, I mean, we 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 can do marketing. We um, we have marketing services. Most of our authors, we actually don't recommend that they buy marketing from us, and, and so they don't uh, because for a lot of people, I mean, it just depends what your goal is. If you're if you're a C level executive and you're trying to get you know get hired as a CEO somewhere, and which we've had a couple of those, like CFOs or CMOS who want to like. Like put something big on their resume, become you know known as a an authority in their field. Yeah. Uh, a book is like one of those things that you can't um, you can't fake, you know. So it's got to it's got to it's got to have good ideas, which is up to them. But then it's got to look good, it's got to be good. But they don't really need to promote it very much, you know. All they have to do is just like um, uh, just have it there, you know. They, it needs to be available for people to see. That's why they do it. Whereas someone who like like Melissa. Uh, she didn't really care that much about selling copies, but she did care very much about people in the retail space, her space, seeing this book, right? So we, like, she bought a small marketing package from us, and we targeted directly at uh, all the places where people who care about retail were. And it, 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 like, I've, I sell more books in a week than she has since her book came out, but she's made millions of dollars off of her book because the right people saw it. And they read it, and then now she's considered like the authority in her field. She yeah. was before. The only difference between now and then is that people know what a baller she is now. And <laughs> without a book, they just didn't know what a baller she was, you know? Well, we love ballers. Yeah, that's her. Plus, you guys give free kittens with every package, so that, no, that's awesome. No, I hate cats. <laughs> Dogs, maybe. I would. I would think about that. Like, uh, I watched that video that. and then it popped up there, and I was like, "Oh God, yeah, I've got two cats. I've been trying to get rid of them for years now, and it's just apparently not my decision. Maybe I just need to put the foot down, right? Yeah, no, 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 no cats. Well, just, just curious. What, what are you reading right now? Like, what's interesting to you as far as books go? Um, you know, honestly, most of what I'm reading right now is very much related to building and scaling a company and the various processes involved with that because, uh, this company is doing really well and it's like, it's doing, uh, like crazy well. And I feel like this might be like the biggest thing I ever do professionally. And so I take it very seriously, both what our mission is, which is, um, uh, helping, um, 
great ideas and great knowledge and wisdom get turned into books that are shared with the world and uh, like building this business seriously. So like right now I'm reading uh, – I just finished Tribal Leadership, which is like uh, about 10 years old. It's a classic on – um, how to understand the social dynamics within a company, and then uh, there's a, like five other books like that. I stay away from the the, the popular business books are usually regurgitations of uh, the deep research. So I try and read the original research or as close as I can get to it. Um, there's a lot of really really great stuff out there, but it seems like the stuff that gets popular doesn't overlap very much with the the really good stuff. Like you know, like the book Good to Great. That book is fucking yeah. stupid. It gets so much press and it literally, I mean, it, there's a great, I forget who wrote it, but Har- I think Harvard Business Review has a great takedown of that book. It basically just studied the successful companies and said, oh, here's what they did and then like drew a bunch of extrapolations that were total nonsense. Yeah. Like, like, like it's almost like imagine if you drove cross country by only looking in the rear view mirror. That's what good to great is. It fucking is terrible. I, dude, everyone talked about Zero to One. I thought Zero to One was not a very good book at all. Like, um, I, I mean, Peter Thiel is a very smart guy, but I probably disagreed strongly with 40% of the stuff that was in there and felt like a, mo- a lot of it was not very good advice at all. In fact, was very bad advice. It's, there's so many people who are so successful and they think, well, because I'm successful, everything I think must be right. And it, no, like you could... You might be successful for reasons you don't understand. You might have been lucky. You might, you know, like I'm not trying to call Peter Thiel lucky, but I think there's quite a bit that he is very confident about that he doesn't know as well as he thinks he knows. Um, He's probably diluting himself with too much butt chugging, man. To be honest, <laughs> well, he is actually gay. Yeah, so <laughs> he might be. He might be butt chugging. Um, I mean, he's a smart dude. I just thought the book was actually not very useful as a business. If anything, it's maybe a business philosophy book, but it's yeah. not like it's it's not people are like oh, if you have a startup, you should read this bullshit. That fucking thing won't help you one ounce with with actually starting and running a company. So we love it, Tucker Max. Tell it like it is, man. Book in a box. Is it dot co? Is that correct? Dot uh, com. Either one. Dot co or dot com. Okay, either one. Cool. Is there anywhere else that the listeners can find you or get in contact? Um, yeah, I mean, if they want to email me, it's just tuckermax at gmail.com. My email's been the same for 10 years. Um, I'm easy to find. But if you if you don't email me if you if you want to inquire about Book in a Box, my co-founder does all the sales. I'm not very good with people like that. <laughs> He's much better <laughs> with it than I am. You want to talk to Zach. He's very nice and fun and accommodating. <laughs> Like uh, I'm, I, I'm who you want to talk to if you, if we want to do like BizNev or or deals. Not if you want to like uh, have your hand held and walk through a book. Not my, not my specialty, man. Tucker, if you had to battle Godzilla, how do you think you would use your creativity or your talents to defeat that big crazy bastard? Well, he's a lizard, right? Yeah. Why, why, why don't you just use ice? Maybe like the best answer I've heard yet in like a hundred episodes. I mean, well, you know, I mean, like assuming he's like every other reptile and he can't regulate his body temperature, I would wait until it was night uh, and then like do everything we could to dump tons of ice on him. I mean, he, and then it's like easy to fuck with him. He's a lizard. You can pick up lizards, you know, in Florida when there's a freeze, they're just sitting on the sidewalk. They can't do anything. They're immobile. Awesome, dude. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. 
We're saying hello here from the big blue area of Lexington, Kentucky. I know you miss it oh so much. Uh, I, I really wish you all the success in the world with booking a box, man, and I appreciate it. You, you're doing some amazing things. You're definitely changing the world. If you think about the mission that you had with booking a box to be able to put these powerful stories out for people that usually wouldn't be able to figure out a way to do it, you're, you're providing a huge service there. And it is. I think you're probably going to discover that if it hasn't happened already, a lot of these messages that get out there in books are going to do so many things to change other people's lives that it's got to be like extremely gratifying. That That's the goal, man. The goal is that we can um, help people with great things to say, get them to the people who need to hear them. That's the goal. Well, awesome, dude. Everybody out there, do a little boogie-woogie, do a little jive. Don't do any butt-chugging unless you are gay. And stay out of the state of Kentucky. Or, right? or a UT frat boy. <laughs> or a UT frat boy. That's right. Break the rules, but first break the rulers. It's Tucker, dude, thank you so much for being the Archapreneur now. Always remember to keep it funky, man. Super fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Archapreneur Now. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, email me at create at artsynow.com or on Twitter at HB underscore Armstrong. The music? Well, that's shaky feeling. Check them out. Ventura, California. Ta-ta! Keep it funky.